Good morning, church. It, uh, thank you, Eric and Ben, for taking us before God's throne this morning. My name's Kirk Matthews. I'm an elder here at Genesis Church, for those of you that don't know me, and occasionally I have the privilege of, uh, of preaching. And if you're visiting or if you've been away, uh, you may not know that our usual pastor, Mike Hubbard, lost his father this week. Um, his dad, very affectionately known as Big Andy, passed away following a couple of very difficult surgeries. And uh, so I stepped in this morning to let Mike take a moment to catch his breath and minister to his family and be ministered to. So please keep them in your prayers as they prepare for a funeral this week. Uh, but in case you're wondering... I did have a little bit more time than just Friday to prepare. I was scheduled to preach next week. Um, and so I'd already begun trying to understand this text in chapter 20 of the book of Acts. Um, and, uh, but however, that means that it, we, here at Genesis, we preach through books of the Bible straight through. And so we'll have a little bit of sequence change. Um, we're going to go to chapter 20 today, the first part of chapter 20. Next week, Mike will be back and we'll finish chapter 19, as I know 19 comes before 20. But, uh, uh, so we got a little bit of a mix-up on that. Um, but, uh, as, and as we'll hear next week, at the end of chapter 19, there's a, there's a riot in, in Ephesus, uh, after which Paul decides it's time to leave. He'd been there for probably three years. And uh, so with, with that said, I'm going to direct your attention to the screen or to your Bible or to your Bible app. And listen as we hear the reading uh, of Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Acts 20, verses 1 through 16. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed. For his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up, 
and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So I feel like uh, I need to warn you a little bit that uh, this passage brings out a wide range of emotions in me. And uh, right now my wife is thinking, "Uh uh-oh, he's telling us he's going to get choked up. (laughs) Um, and, And actually that is true, but only partly true, because there are elements in this passage that are actually pretty humorous. And we're going to laugh a little bit today. Um, so I offer you a disclaimer. It's, o- it's okay to laugh. Uh, and, uh, and it's okay to get choked up uh, sometimes. Um, and, I, and I also have to be honest with you. When I first read this passage, I was kind of like, I, I, as a kind of rookie pastor, I was kind of like, hmm, I, I'm not sure there's a lot in this passage. I, can I get a sermon out of this? And and uh, I was struggling to, to, to fill up a sermon. And, and uh, Mike, when I texted you about trading weeks, uh, I really, in my mind, I was thinking we're going to keep the sequence, 19 before 20, and, and uh, keep that sequence. And so we would trade texts. And then you, when you suggested, no, we can, we can trade, that's okay. Uh, I thought, well, okay. But a part of me was thinking it might be easier to preach about a riot than about a few verses about this uh, miracle at the end of this chapter. Um, But once I began reading some commentaries and studying some of the original Greek and things uh, about this text, I I changed my mind. I changed my mind pretty dramatically. Uh, You see, a casual reading of the first few verses seemed to kind of just read like a travel itinerary, uh, uh, itinerary, right? Nothing really out of the ordinary. But when you, as so often is the case, when you dig into God's word and really try to pull the meaning out of it, um, you see in this, in this verse a, a, a true pastor's heart of encouragement, an assassination plot, the purposeful assembly of a team for integrity's sake and for safety's sake. And later in the chapter, we see this crazy story of a young man that falls asleep in church, falls from a third story window, dies and is brought back to life by God through the Apostle Paul and how Paul intentionally spends time in fellowship with his team. And wow, there's so much more to this passage than initially met my eye. So regarding this concept of team, as a, as a young man, many, many years ago, I had the privilege of playing what I believe to be the greatest team sport ever invented. Of course, I'm talking about the great game of American football. I, I, I felt compelled to clarify American football, lest some misguided soul think I was talking about soccer. I'm just making that clear. And I call football the greatest team sport because on every single play, there are 11 
individual little battles going on, and the loss of any one of those individual battles might contribute to a total team loss. And, and every team is made up of a very diverse bunch of players. Players with different sizes, different shapes, different speeds, different strengths, and different skills. And each one plays a different role that is completely dependent on their other team members. I don't know any other sport where every player depends so much on the other players. And if anyone believes otherwise, I will be happy to put you on my prayer list. <laughs> but... As I began to prepare for this message and studying this text, I believe I've come to realize how important, how critically important it is for the follower of Jesus to have a team. A trustworthy team with which they can face the challenges of this world, grow in their faith, and live on mission for their good and for the glory of God. So as I prepared for this morning's sermon, I have to say living the Christian life is really the greatest team sport. It has so many elements that make, that make football a great sport, but of course, in this sport, the stakes are way higher. So let's take a quick look at Acts chapter 20 and verses 1 and 2 again. After the uproar, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. So we see Paul's continuing missionary journey from there in Ephesus, and we'll take a look at the map real fast. Ephesus is right here. Try to hold my pointer still. And he decided that he was going to go up to Macedonia. And then a little bit later we'll see he travels down to Greece, and for reasons I'll discuss in a moment, retraces his steps on his way back. And he pulls together but a, a team. So what, is the, what does the scripture say that he did before he left Macedonia? He pulled together his team, his Ephesus team, and encourages them. And what does Luke say he did throughout the Macedonian region? He gave them much encouragement. Well, who is, who is them? The encouragement he was giving was are to the churches that he had either visited or planted on his previous missionary journey. You remember his second missionary journey from a few chapters back. They were his Macedonian team. So we see here the first reason why we need a team, why it's so important to have a team in living the Christian life, and it is encouragement. This passage begins and ends with this important element. The, the original Greek word that Luke used here for encouragement is parakaleo. Now, he uses that in, the, to, in verses 1 and 2 where it says encouragement. He also uses that in uh, a version of that word in verse 12. Remember from the reading when it said, after the boy's life was restored to him, they were not a little comforted. That word comforted also in the original Greek comes from this word parakaleo. Now, we often think of Paul as a great evangelist, as, an, as a great author and defender of the faith, a great church planner, and all of that is perfectly true. But here, he is revealing his pastor's heart. Here, he is encouraging his team. And church family, I don't know about you, but I don't know how people 
I, I literally do not know how people go through life without a, without a church team to encourage them and to offer encouragement to. Um, I don't know how I could deal with the challenges of life without encouragement from you, my church family. And God knows that we need each other. In Hebrews chapter 3, he wrote this. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deceptions. Did you catch that, church? Encourage each other daily while it's still today. Don't let the day go by without encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ. Tony Marita, who wrote an exposition on the book of Acts, says it this way. It is a great privilege to give Christ-exalting encouragement to fellow soldiers and to receive it from others. Church, this is a two-way street. There are times when each of us desperately needs an encouraging word from another believer. And I promise you, you will find joy both in giving and receiving that encouragement. The Christian life is a team sport. So now Paul's down south in Corinth, and he's there for about three months. And as a a little bit of a side note, uh, some theologians believe that was during the winter months when travel by sea was a little bit more dangerous. But Paul was not idle. I don't think he ever was. It's during this day in Corinth that he wrote maybe his most majestic work, the, the book of Romans, his letter to the church at Rome. And we also learn from other, other books of the Bible, other letters that he wrote, that Paul's purpose for this whole trip, when, after he left Ephesus, was to take up a collection from the Macedonian and the Grecian churches and take that money back to the struggling uh, Jews in the Christian church at Jerusalem. So as he was preparing to sail to, back to Syria from Corinth and make his way to Jerusalem with these offerings that he had collected... He learned of a plot to kill him. And the plot seemed to center around his trip, his, his uh, sailing ship that he was going to get on. And we don't know the details of this plot. Some theologians surmise it was probably an easy thing to kill him at sea and throw his body overboard or just to throw him overboard. Uh, we don't know. We don't know the details. But, but Paul decides instead of getting on the ship to return to Jerusalem by a longer route, and you remember from the map, we had, he backtracked, he retraced his steps back up into Macedonia and around back over, uh, and taking a longer route. But for this trip, for this trip, he assembles a larger traveling team. Uh, church, by now it's easy to see, if you've been following through the book of Acts, it's easy to see that Paul's a marked man by now. How many times in previous chapters do we hear about uh, the, the people being upset, saying this is the man that's turning the world upside down. And how many times did we see where he was uh, beaten up or run out of town or arrested or plotted against or, or threatened with assassination? And by now, if you think about the nature of his mission, collecting this offering, he's carrying around a sizable chunk of money that had been donated for the gent- by the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Greece. So carrying this large chunk of money, he's already a marked man. He's even a bigger target for violence. <clears throat> but now, as you see in verses 4, he has a posse. He, has, he, he recruited some muscle, maybe. And, and, and this is, uh, he has some protection from his team. 
And here we see a second reason for the Christian, uh, that living the Christian life is a team sport, and that is protection. Traveling with a larger team of trustworthy men, Paul was just simply safer. And friends, outside of your home, I believe the church should be the safest place on earth. Never forget that we are in a spiritual war. Never forget that. A church should be a place you can run to for truth and protection from the evils of this crazy culture. Church family, we have to have each other's back. Sometimes this means we walk through dark moments and dangerous situations with fellow church members. Sometimes this might mean standing up to protect our children from the ravages of the evils that exist in our culture. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen some of these nature videos uh, like, that might be on YouTube or TikTok or something. I'm kind of fascinated by, by them, um, particularly those where you'll see uh, a pride of lions on the hunt. And if you Google this, you can find several that look this way, where a pride of lions is on the hunt, and they come across a herd of buffalo, of water buffalo, and, and they successfully isolate one of those buffalo, and often it's the weakest or the youngest, the calf. And they have the calf pinned down, and they're about to, to ravage this defensive animal. And then out of the side of the frame, you see a water buffalo wander into the, wander into the, into the picture. And the lions are, it catches their attention. They're still holding on to this calf. They're still hoping to have a meal. They've got the calf pinned down, but this buffalo starts walking toward them. And then, behind that one comes a whole charge of buffaloes in. And the lions scatter. And I particularly get a kick out of it when one of them gets hooked by the horns and goes flying over end over end. I almost, I almost showed a video of it, but I thought it might be a little bit too graphic or distressing for some people, so I, I chose not to. But sometimes, this is my image of spiritual warfare. So, if you kind of have that image of that video in your mind a little bit, let me, let me paint a little bit different image where instead of a calf, there's a pregnant teenager with no place to go. And the lions are the evils of this culture, trying to influence her decision, trying to keep her hooked on drugs and sell her more drugs, or maybe even trying to sell her into sex slavery. And oh, she needs that one brave believer to step up and at least catch the lion's attention. And then she needs the church to come rushing in and scatter those lions. See, that first believer that steps forward knows that by themselves they probably can't take on this pack of lions. But they're part of a church family. And they can charge into that situation with strength and numbers and care for that scared and hurting teenager. Church, far too often in my lifetime, that teenager was shunned and run out of the church. And the, and the result is just like some of those nature videos where the calf is lost. Oh, friends, we have a very hard time fighting these battles alone. We need the protection of the church. Living the Christian life is a team sport. Now, coming back to our text, in verse 4, Luke gives us the starting lineup. 
for this team. I've already confessed my affection for football. Now I'll just confess I'm a full-blown football nerd. I actually enjoy even watching the opening of these games, especially NFL games where they show little video clips of the players introducing themselves and where they played their college football. I, I know it sounds weird. There's a little bit of method behind my madness. I played small college football, and, but I dreamed about playing for, in the NFL. And so I watched those videos literally to see, is there a small college player starting for one of these teams? And if so, that's my favorite player for that game. In, Luke, in, in verse 4, Luke gives us the names of Paul's team and where they came from. You heard them on the video. Now, a guy named David Gusick, the pastor and Bible expositor from Calvary Chapel in California, points out kind of an interesting thing that he calls a reasonable inference from this list of men. See, the two men from Thessalonica are named Aristarchus and Secundus. Now, Gusick goes on to explain the likely origins of these names. Aristarchus comes from the root word which we derive, from which we derive the word aristocracy. Makes sense, doesn't it? This is likely the name of a person of some standing or nobility or wealth, uh, some high standing in the community. The name secundus comes from the root word from which we get the word second and was likely a name commonly given to a slave. Slave owners would dehumanize their slaves often by changing them, their name from their given name to a more generic name. And Secundus was likely the second slave in this household. The first was probably named Primus or Prime. Now, Gusick is careful to point out that this is what he calls a reasonable inference from the scripture. We don't have proof of this. I, would, I don't claim this as, as gospel, that that was actually what these men's background. We don't have a profile of them. But wouldn't it be just like Paul to build a team that included two men from the same town but completely opposite ends of the socioeconomic spectrum to lock arms together, Gentiles lock arms together to take an offering to the Jews in Jerusalem? And wouldn't it be just like Luke to report that? It's also really interesting to me that each member of Paul's traveling team came from one of the churches that he had visited, right? So we see team members from Berea, Thessalonica, Derby. You remember those names from earlier chapters when Paul was there on his second missionary journey. Now, given that these churches are the ones that provided offerings, having these men as teammates on this journey, it built in accountability. Each of these men surely knew the offering and the amounts that their individual church had given. They had a front row seat to this whole journey, how those funds were used, and they would ultimately have a front row seat of the delivering of these funds to the church in Jerusalem. So this is what I see as the third reason that living the Christian life is a team sport. Church, as much as we don't like it, we all need accountability. Here at Genesis Church, we have a covenant 
relationship between members. We sign a covenant when we become members and we renew that covenant every year. We are accountable to each other. Now, I don't have time to go into all the detail of what that covenant covers, but just know that in, gen- in a general sense, we are accountable to each other and sometimes that means we must step into difficult situations and hold each other accountable. Not because... Not because there's some thrill in exercising power. Not because that's a fun place to be. But totally from a position of love that says lovingly to a brother or sister, you are playing with fire by participating in this behavior and we love you enough to address this with you. Accountability can be a really, really difficult thing. But exercised well it can be a beautiful thing and it can be so beneficial to the believer we need accountability from our teammates because living the christian life is a team sport so now back to our story while some traveled by boat and some by land by verse 7 the team is together in troas and luke tells us that on this on the first day of the week they gathered to break bread. Now, this happens to be the, the, the very first reference in the book of Acts. And remember, the book of Acts is the story of the birth of the church. And this is the very first reference in the book of Acts of the church gathering on the first day of the week, on a Sunday. Now, this contrasts with the Jewish tradition of gathering on the last day of the week, on Saturday or the Sabbath. And this is significant in that through the ages, and in some churches and uh, denominations and some circles, there have been debates over which day of the week should the church gather to worship. But this and other references seem to indicate that the church began to meet on Sundays in honor of that being the day on which our Lord Jesus rose from the grave. But this particular Sunday happened to be Paul's last day in Troas, the, the, Luke tells us they were moving on the next day. So Paul's preaching went long. In fact, he preached until midnight. And, and, and now we have this crazy story of Eutychus, the young man, while sitting in a windowsill in a third-story room, in a room where Luke points out that there were oil lamps burning, the air was probably so musty, He fell asleep, and when he fell asleep, he fell out of the window and was killed by the three-story fall. Man, what a crazy story. What what can we take from this? Well, Well, first of all, this is where there's some humor in this story. So the first thing I would say is that this young man is named Eutychus. The origins of his name come from a word that means lucky or fortunate. You can't make this up. This is in the scripture. That's, that's his name. And, and actually, when I thought about that, I, I laughed just like you did. I thought, no, he really was lucky that the apostle Paul was there to restore his life through the power of God. But second, and I want to say this to you, Mike. Please never preach to midnight. <laughs> just, just saying. But I cannot help 
but believe that every preacher that ever preached maybe takes just a little bit of pleasure knowing that even the awesome apostle Paul had folks fall asleep during his sermon. I'm just, I'm just saying. And third, I want to ask you guys, have you ever slept in church? Remember, we're accountable here. Have you ever slept in church? So I, I have to tell you this quick true story. I grew up at First Baptist Church of Ellisville. Some of you may have known where that church was. It's torn down now. Um, but you could stand in front of that church building and, and see the progression of its attendance. Because on the north end, there's this little bitty church uh, building, and it's connected to a, a very churchy little building. It's connected to a little bit bigger churchy building, and then it's connected to a great big churchy building. I started attending when there was only this little bitty church, and Jane and I got married in the great big church. And that little bitty church, the worship area was small. It was more like a chapel, I guess. But it had a tile floor, and it had hardwood pews with no pads. And it was really slick. Uh, and I mean, it was hard. Well, one Sunday, uh, a friend of mine, actually, uh, who shall remain nameless, he was probably 9 or 10 at the time. He fell asleep. And somehow, you know, that, that back of that pew was very slippery, and he started to slide sideways. And he did not catch himself until his head hit that pew like a hammer. And it resonated across that tile floor throughout that entire room. The service came to a halt. Luckily, he survived both the fall and his mother's wrath. <laughs> but uh, so it's okay if you've dozed off here or there in church, hear me now, I say that's no big deal. One commentary I read made this kind of remarkable statement about this event in Scripture, about falling asleep. It's okay, it's okay to sleep on your faith every now and then in church. Just make sure your faith is awake when you leave. In other words, so many people put their faith to sleep Monday through Saturday. And it only comes up awake when they walk in the church on Sunday. I think those are wise words for us, church. So back to our story. Paul goes down the stairs. He takes the boys in his arms, and he restores his life. Now, down through the years, there have been those skeptics who say, oh, the boy wasn't really dead. Or maybe they were uh, Princess Bride uh, fans, and maybe he wasn't fully dead. He was only part of the dead. But, friends, remember, this text was written by Luke. He's a physician. I think Luke knew dead when he saw it. And he actually wrote, the boy was taken up dead. He didn't write, he was taken up as dead. Church, I think, make no mistake, Luke is recording a miracle here. So, when, so what does Paul do? The scripture says, he, sa he says, that's okay, his life is in him. He goes upstairs they have a meal, and they have fellowship. They spend the rest of the night. They talk together until dawn. So I, in my mind, I'm thinking, how, does, how, does, what, how did this go down? I mean, this is a traumatic event. I mean, did, is Paul got the boy in his arms saying, it's okay, everybody, it's okay. He's fine. His life is in him. Hey, who wants pizza? I mean, is that, how did this happen? The point is, Paul knew the importance and wanted to fellowship with his team. They were leaving the next day, 
and nothing, not even this tragic death and miraculous restoration of life was going to stop this time of fellowship. They fellowshiped until daybreak. And this illustrates the fourth reason that living the Christian life is a team sport. We need fellowship, church. So what, what, is, what is fellowship? What is this? And I'm going to take a minute, and I'm going to brag on you, Genesis Church, because I think we do fellowship really well. I really do. You see, fellowship is, is like a binding agent that binds us together, and, and it takes a million different forms. Fellowship is what you see when you walk in the door here into our welcome center on a Sunday morning and you see kids scurrying about and, and adults sharing a cup of coffee, catching up with each other from last week. Fellowship is what you see before our service. In this room, people wandering around, saying hello, greeting each other. Fellowship is what you see after our church as we work together, putting away the chairs and tearing down this stage. Fellowship is community groups where people grow close and trust each other and grow, go deeper into the word together. Fellowship is serving our community together with the gift of love store or the, or the Eureka Days Parade. Fellowship is going on mission, whether it's to Eureka or to Ecuador, and there is nothing that binds you together like the fellowship of service on mission. I've been on mission trips. I've had the blessing with Genesis family members to go to Ecuador and to go to Haiti. We will be forever bound together by that experience. Fellowship is our members meeting where we discuss the workings of the church. And yes, fellowship is sharing a meal together. There is something about sharing a meal together that pulls us together. And fellowship is the bonfire. If you missed last night's bonfire, I am sorry for you. You missed all kinds of great food, but you missed a lot of great fellowship and God's creation. So grateful to the Larsons for opening up their home and their property. Fellowship was happening last night. Now, I, I want to make no mistake about this. I want to be really clear. Church and friends, our hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Our hope is not in each other. But listen to this. Fellowship, what, the, the list that I just ran through, that's a list of really events when you look at them. Those are fellowship events. But fellowship is so much more. Fellowship facilitates encouragement, protection, and accountability. Why, how, how, how is that? Fellowship, these events, these times of working together, is where we learn to love each other as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And out of that love, out of that Christ-like love, fostered and nurtured by fellowship, comes encouragement. I thank God that as we put away chairs after a service, it is not unusual to see a prayer huddle break out in this room because maybe some brother or sister recently lost a loved one and the church comes around them to encourage them with their hugs, with their prayers, and yes, even with their tears. It is out of that Christ-like love, fostered and nurtured by fellowship, that a brother or sister trusts their community group enough to cry out to say, today I'm surrounded by lions. 
and I need you. And it's out of that Christ-like love, fostered and nurtured by fellowship, that that community group will come around and rush to try and fend off that, those lions and offer the safety of the church. And it is only knowing that I am loved with a Christ-like love that was fostered in fellowship, fostered and nurtured by fellowship, that would get me, a prideful sinner, saved by grace, to accept godly correction through accountability. Church, we need each other. Yes, living the Christian life is most definitely a team sport. I'm going to ask the band to come forward. And I'll close with an analogy that I heard a long time ago when I was a teenager. And it's appropriate for this analogy coming on the heels of last night's bonfire. Perhaps you've heard this analogy too. If you were standing around the bonfire last night and took a stick or a fire poker and pushed one of those embers away from the flame, away from the main source of energy, it would be no time at all and that, that ember would be burned out, cold and useless. You take a little bit of time, you push that ember back into the fire in just a few minutes. It's glowing red. It's red hot. Church, we cannot live the Christian life alone. We need each other. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, but you need encouragement, or maybe you know there are things going on in your life that are not God-honoring, or, or maybe you need that protection of a safe church team, please come and talk to us. There's going to be some folks over here after the service is over. We would love, we would love to talk to you. Or maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're thinking, holy cow, what is all this about? And maybe God's touched your heart just a little bit to say, maybe I need to explore this. Please come talk to us right over here after the service. Or, or maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you're here for the first time, and you're, you're looking for a place that God would lead you to call your church home. This is a safe place. This is a place for new beginnings. Uh, please, come, please come talk to us. In a minute, we'll pray. We'll pass an offering basket. And, and if you're visiting with us, that offering basket is not for you. We ask nothing of you. Your presence here is a gift to us. But it's a time when our people can worship by returning to God a portion of what they have been blessed with by his hand of provision. So uh, we're going to pray and then we'll stand and lift our voices in praise and worship of our amazing God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. And we're so grateful for the structure of the church that Paul illustrates for us here, the, the team that, that is so important for us to walk through this Christian life if we claim you as king. God, I pray, I pray for those who need encouragement today, who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, who have lost a loved one, who have bad news, health news. Lord, I pray for those that need encouragement. Father, I pray for those 
who need protection. Oh, that we would rise up as a church and be that safe place for each and every one of those individuals, God. And Lord, I pray that we would take our accountable relationship with each other so seriously. And we know that that is for our good, but it is for your glory. God, bless our time together. We're so thankful in Jesus' name. Amen.